a good day, church. I'm telling you. I thought to myself, self, you know, this is Mother's Day. Shouldn't we do a Mother's Day sermon? Sister Carol, do you know why the Lord gave you that scripture? Do you know why the Lord put that on your heart? Because I said to myself, self, I'm not going to stop preaching the book of Joshua just because it's Mother's Day. Because the book of Joshua is about mothers. You didn't know that, did you? Joshua chapter 4 today, we're talking about moms. Didn't know that, but here it is. Plant your flag is what I want to call this. Ooh, there it is. Plant your flag. Anybody that's ever been to any of the World War II memorials has seen the Iwo Jima Memorial, the four men raising the flag that happened on the island of Iwo Jima. Those men planted the flag at the beginning of the battle, and the battle raged on many days after that flag was planted. However, that flag stood as a symbol for what they were doing on that island, a symbol of the victory that was to come. In our lives, we erect flags. Ladies, when you invest your life in a child, whether it's your own child or it's a stepchild from another marriage or it is an adopted child, a foster child, if you are a teacher and you have poured your life into your students, you have raised up a flag in the life of that child for who Jesus Christ is. Do you realize that? Gentlemen, when you stand by other men, when you stand for Jesus Christ in the lives of other people and you refuse to back down, you refuse to give in, you are lifting up the banner of Jesus Christ before those who are around you. And that can be seen. As we go forward in the book of Joshua, think about raising a flag in the honor of the God that we serve. Joshua chapter 4 is where we are, verses 1 through 9. We're going to talk about this by saying something very strange. Gather your stones. You're thinking, what do stones have to do with raising flags? Now you're going to find out. Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this may be a sign among you. Underline verse 6 in your Bible. That this will be a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, Mom, Dad, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's waters were cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial Read banner, read flag, read marker for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The 12 men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. 
Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are there to this day. May God add a blessing to his word. Do you understand what it means to gather stones? The Israelites had just crossed over the Jordan River. Amen? Remember last week? Now, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant had stepped onto the shore of the Jordan. The Jordan was at flood stage. It was at its highest place, its most dangerous. At the moment they stood there, ahead of them, the water stopped. It stood up as a wall, and there was no more flow of the river. That had to mystify everybody. There were two million Israelites ready to cross the Jordan. So they needed a wide path to get across. You know, if it was just six foot wide, that wasn't going to work too good. Not for two million people. So they stopped the entire Jordan from that place on down. Remember? And everybody had crossed through. That's where we are in verse 1. After the entire nation had finished crossing. Now the Lord spoke to choose 12 men from the people. Remember last week, I told you in chapter 3, verse 12, he said pick 12 men. But he never said what to do with them, right? Do you remember that? I said, note that, 12 men. Those 12 men he already had in his mind before they went through the Jordan. And on the other side, he gives them a task. That task is going to be to build a memorial to what God is doing. I want you to go back in your mind. Go back in your life to the place where you encountered Jesus Christ for the first time. When was the moment, church, when was the moment, believer, when you realized that you were a sinner cut off from God? When was the moment that you realized that belonging to a church wasn't enough? That being baptized in a church was not enough? When was the moment when you realized that tithing and Sunday school attendance were not enough? When did God show you, the way he showed Sister Carol that scripture, when did he show you you were lost? Because that's your Jordan River. When you were on the other side of the Jordan River, you could look into the land of God's promise, look into Jesus Christ, and see what you were meant to have. But until you confessed your sin, sin stopped the Jordan River of your life, and you crossed through on dry ground, then you entered the promised land. Now, the whole point of building this memorial in the promised land, as it says right here, is so that this will be a sign to you. And when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Book of Exodus, maybe? Remember, the, the Jewish father will gather his children for the Passover. And the oldest child will say, Daddy, why is this night different than every other night? Why are we not doing things like we always do it? And then the father would take that question and he would answer by saying it was on this night that the Lord our God, Yahweh, sovereign master of the universe, brought us up out of slavery. He set us free. You see, the question was to set up a teaching moment. Same thing here. He says, when your children say, Daddy, I was just playing down by the Jordan and there's 12 big boulders stacked up next to the water. Why are those rocks so important? Why does every dad in Israel take his children down to that place and show him those rocks? And that's when you will be able to answer, well, son, this is where the Lord God stopped the Jordan. 
This is where he made it possible for me to go from being out of the promised land and going into the promised land. Do you understand? Your children need to know your testimony. Mom, this is your day. Amen? And not a woman says the thing. What? Amen. Thank you. If salvation was dependent upon answers, y'all would be cooking. Okay, here's the thing. Your children need to know your Jordan River. They need to know where it was that God stopped the water of sin and let you go across into deliverance. Dads, same thing for you. You need to be able to testify about how it was that God brought you from death into life. Because there should be a marker in your life, church. Here's the thing. When soldiers would go into battle, they would be fully dressed in armor and backpacks and all that stuff. As they would go further and further, they would begin to drop the useless stuff and only hold on to the things that were most important. When you got saved, church, what did you leave behind? Maybe you left behind selfishness. Maybe you left behind greed, lust, desire. No, that, that, that idea that I can choose my future. I can choose my path. I am the master of my fate. You need to drop that at the Jordan River when you get across because that's just what was. That's not what is. I can look back at the day that I was saved. I was born again on a Sunday morning in a revival in a little church in Pontiac, Michigan. And that pastor stood up there and he said, if God was to call you home today and you stood before the gates of paradise and he said, son, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would your answer be? And I didn't have an answer. I had been in church my whole life. My daddy had been a deacon. My mama was the daughter of a preacher, and I didn't have an answer. You know why? Because when God puts the finger on you and says, where were you born again? Just like Nicodemus, a lot of us don't have an answer. But you see, I can point to September 21st, 1980. I can point to the place where I laid down my good works and I laid down my self-righteousness and I laid down my granddaddy who was a pastor and I laid down my mama who played piano and I laid down all that self-righteous stuff and it's a pile right there at the place where I began my journey toward Christ. That's what this was. This marked a beginning, a new Place in the land if you look at it it will always be there to remind you of what you were where you came from and how you started church can you look back and see the day your life changed I can point to a few days my life changed on my hand is a ring inside that ring is a woman's name and there's only one woman's name in there that's right just the one and there's a date in here you know why there's a date in here because I have a bad memory and my wife didn't want me to forget my anniversary. What was that, Garrett? You know, she didn't, she, she knows it goes quickly. So my anniversary date's in there. This is a memorial to my wife, to my marriage. It stands as a reminder to myself in the world that I belong to somebody else. So as good looking as I am, don't even think about it. That's how I like to think about it anyways. I like to think about it that way. Now, I want you to notice something, church. I want you to notice something. There's not just one memorial here, is there? Did y'all catch that there's two piles of rocks? 
to mark the entry to the land. It says, after they carried out those stones, verse 9, Joshua also set up 12 stones, where? In the middle of the Jordan, at the very place where the feet of the priests were. Why would he do that? If you went back to the Red Sea crossing, when Moses led the people out of Egypt, did you know that up until the 1950s, there was a stone pillar standing by the Sea of Aqaba, standing by the Red Sea, written in the Hebrew language that said this is where Moses crossed, from slavery to freedom. Guess what happened when they discovered the stone pillar standing at the point where Moses set him free? Guess what happened to the stone pillar? They reported it to the Saudi Arabian government. You know what happened the next day? The darn thing went missing. Where'd it go? It was a thousand pound stone pillar. It just did not walk away. Why did somebody remove it? I'll tell you why. Because if that stone pillar stood today, Saudi Arabia with its oil would belong to the Jews. That's why the pillar's gone. So that nobody could point and say, there is my claim to the land. Well, guess what, church? Satan can make you believe, you know what? You didn't respond to Jesus with your whole heart. You didn't come to Christ in faith. You just had an emotional hallelujah, thank you, shot the halibut, run around the church moment. But guess what? I've got a memorial in my life that says, no, I came to a place in my life I realized I wasn't enough, and Jesus was. That memorial, Satan can never overcome. So why did Joshua put it in the middle of the Jordan? When the sea started, when the water started to flow again, could anybody see it? No. But it doesn't matter. Because what does it say? The stones are there to this day. Those stones remain, and it was enough that Joshua knew they were there. Joshua knew where they were. Some have said that they believe in those days when the Jordan was not at a flood stage, that you could look across and you could see the top stone right at the water's level. And they could see the markers in the promised land, but Joshua could look and see in the middle of that Jordan River, that's where I came from. That's what God delivered me out of, the depth of the water. It said the water stood up like a mountain. It wasn't no two feet deep. The Jordan is deep, y'all. Deep enough to drown a man at flood stage. Your life was filled with enough sin to drown you at flood stage. But God shut off the power of sin and let you walk through into freedom in Christ. You need to gather your stones. You need to mark your life in Jesus Christ so that you will know where you came from. But look on. Joshua 4, 10 through 18. You need to engage the people. If you're going to raise a flag, raise a memorial to Jesus Christ, yeah, you've got to gather your stones, but you've got to mark, you've got to engage the people. Look what it says. The priest carrying the ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed, until Joshua built the stones. And the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people, in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priest with the ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-trab of Manasseh, went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. Now remember, 
Those tribes have their home on the east of the Jordan, right? They are leaving their home. They are leaving their land to what? Fight for the land of their brothers. We talked about this. As you go forward in your Christian life, you need to go forward in battle formation, fighting for those who are coming behind you. Moms and dads, you need to fight for your children's faith. Your children's faith is under attack at school, television, political rallies. Ask Lenny about the hateful things that were said. We, we talked to one woman at that rally, and she had been cursed at, sworn at, abused horribly just for being in any way connected to Amendment 1. That's how the world does it. The world will turn on you with venom and hatred just to show you that if you continue to walk with Jesus, they're going to make life rough for you. Now, this was the battle-hardened veterans who went ahead. Church, that's us. If we want the kingdom of God to go forward, we need to put on our armor. We need to strap on our weapons. We need to be ready for battle. And as soon as we get across the Jordan, we need to take up a formation that will go forward ahead of everybody else who's behind us. The Bible says those of you who are strong, bear with the weak, meaning take the lead, get ahead of them, be out front. You take the abuse, protect those who are behind you. Dads, I charge you before God. You be a wall between the world and your wife. Your wife deserves your protection. Ladies, if you don't say something, I swear, preach longer. Oh, tell me the truth. See, I'm being controlled today. I've been getting a little excited of late. And I've been accused of being Pentecostal, and I am. Thank you very much. But I want to make sure that this comes through clearly so that we know exactly what God is saying to us. I mean, that's just amazing to me. They went ahead in battle formation. About 40,000 equipped for war, crossing to the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel. Remember, last time, God said, I will exalt you. They will now trust you as they trusted Moses. If you are a dad, you need to be worthy of leadership. This is Mother's Day. We recognize the work of mothers but mothers can only be mothers when fathers are fathers. Because, ladies, as incredible as you all are, as incredible as my wife is, I have news for you. You are not built by nature nor by God to be a man. And be happy. It's not easy. Gentlemen, you leave me hanging. I swear. Okay, here we go. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up from the Jordan. When the priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan and their feet stepped out on solid ground, the waters of the Jordan resumed their course, flowing over all the banks as before. An amazing passage about engaging the people. Notice there's three sets here. There's three sets of people. First of all, those who were called to be warriors went where? To the front. Those who were armed for battle took the front line. If you are a grown man, if you are a grown woman, you need to take the front line. You need to take a stand for what you believe. You need to take a stand for your testimony. When someone says, why do you have faith in Jesus Christ? You need to be able to crack open the word of God and defend your faith. 
The scripture says, have an answer for those who require the source of the hope within you. If your hope is in Christ, why is it in Christ? You have to know that. That's how we are arrayed for battle. This world wants our children, and over my dead body are they going to get her. Amen? I got one baby here, one coming, but that's it. That's all I've got to protect, and they are not taking my child. And that means if I have to die, I have to die. You understand? I'm arrayed for battle. Husbands, you need to be arrayed for battle. Ladies, you need to be right there with that fork and poking your husband forward. Get up there, honey. Go. Go defend me. Amen. Get the men out front. Sometimes they need motivation. That was it. So we have that. Also now, we have the priests. The priests are holding up the word of God. They're supporting the covenant. They're standing in the danger zone. And when the Lord says move, what do they do? Do they think about it? Do they say, wait a minute, I'm tired. I've been holding this thing for, you know, six hours. Can I put it down first and take a break and then we'll go? Joshua said, come up out of the water. What did the priests do immediately? Come up out of the water. We leaders, deacons, council, pastors, we need to be ready to lead as soon as the Lord says go. That way, the 40,000 who are arrayed for battle can go with us because we are there to accompany them, to encourage them. And then everybody else would follow behind. And as they grew stronger, they would take their place at the front. That's the most important thing. Now notice this. When they stepped through into the promised land, what happened to the Jordan River? You go, brother. You crawl. He, he wants to get across the Jordan. As soon as the priest stepped out of the Jordan, what happened? The water went back to its place. Have you ever heard the expression, don't burn your bridges? Because you may need to go back across them. That only works with friends. It only works with friends. In the real world, when you leave behind the world and you embrace Jesus Christ, let the river of God's love wash out your bridges backwards. Because when you follow Christ, there's only one direction to go, and that is forward. You don't go back. You don't retreat. The whole book of Hebrews was about don't go back to Jewish religion. Stay with the faith of Jesus Christ, right? That's what Hebrews was about. Even though it's hard, though it's tough, don't give up. Keep going forward. Because guess what, church? You can't go backwards. Two things kept them from going back. What was it? The Jordan River and a stack of stones that said, this is where you start, not this is where you stop. When you get saved and you lay down your burdens by the riverside, thank you, gospel hymn, when you lay those burdens down, leave them and go forward. You don't drop all that junk to stay there. You drop it and you go forward. Let me tell you why. There's a story of a soldier in Vietnam. He was a medic. He was a Navy medic working with the Marine Corps. You're going to appreciate this one, Damon. They were going across a field of fire that had been hit by napalm. Napalm is a gelatinized gasoline. It burns everything to the ground. When they drop napalm on an area, it burns everything to the ground. Even the dust gets burned. It's that nasty. These soldiers had been walking across a field that had been napalmed. 
and there was nothing alive. They said the dust was in their skin, the dust was in their nose, in their eyes. And it was horrible to walk. He said it was like walking through hell to walk through that field of napalm dirt. When they got to the other side, there was like a slash in the ground. There was a valley. The medic said it was, this, it was as if God had taken his finger and had cut paradise in the middle of hell. Well, they walked over into that valley, down into it. If you've been in the Philippines, you know what I'm talking about. You come over a mountain and there's beauty. They went down into it and in the bottom of that valley, that ravine, was a stream. A beautiful, cold, clear stream. They were hot, they were dirty, they were thirsty, they were exhausted. He says he watched his soldiers walk down into the valley, walk down into that river. And he said it was like a cartoon. When he stepped into it, psh, all the heat and all the tiredness came off his feet. And that water went down into his boots. And he stood there. He says he stood there with an 80-pound pack on his back. And he watched the soldiers go ahead of him. But this is what happened. After a moment, he sat down on the side of that river. Soldiers, what do you not do in battle? Sit down. Do you know why? He sat down, and as he sat there with the cold water on his feet, feeling good, feeling relaxed, he saw something out of the corner of his eye. The sun had shifted. He had been sitting there too long. He saw the shadows shift across the valley, and he realized his men were far ahead of him. He was alone, sitting down in a, in a valley with high places all the way around him. And the first thought in his mind was, Sniper, if I sit here one second longer, I'm going to die. So he had to force himself to get up, to walk across that stream, out on the other side, up the side of the valley, and keep going. So it was the hardest thing he ever did was to keep going. That's what happened here. They had crossed the Jordan. God had done an amazing thing in their life. When you came to faith in Christ, God did an amazing thing in your life, but you can't stop at salvation. Salvation is the beginning of the journey. It's not the end. I've asked you before, where are you today in your walk with Christ as opposed to a year ago or five years ago? Do you know more about him? Do you sense the movement of the Spirit? Do you understand the Scriptures? Are you more engaged in Christian ministry today than you were a year or five years ago? If not, beloved, look up because you're sitting in a river and there are snipers around you who will take you out. Satan cannot take the soul of one who is born again. Can I get an amen? Amen. Once you are saved, you are saved. But here's the thing. If Satan cannot take you, he can make you ineffective. The way he makes you ineffective is to make you stop. Lenny could have stopped a dozen times during this campaign, couldn't you? You were tired. You were exhausted. You were cursed at. You were beaten up emotionally. You could have stopped at any place, and nobody would have blamed you. But here's the thing. If you stop then... How long would you have stayed stopped? Maybe forever. Maybe he would never have finished the election. Maybe then he would never have gotten a job. Only because you stayed moving did you move into that blessing that God had prepared for you. Church, you need to get going. You need to start moving. If we're going to take 
our community, for Jesus Christ. We have to be moving. We have to be in motion toward the Lord, learning, knowing, praying, seeking where we can serve in this community. It's so important because you know what? The road is closed behind us. We can't go back to what we were. Praise God. I don't want to be what I was. I know what I was. Okay? I know what I'm going to be too because I know where Jesus is. Look at the last part and we are finished. Joshua 4, 19 through 24. 4, 19 through 24. You need to mark your progress. One thing that they teach you in church planting is this. You need to set mile markers for yourself. We just went out to the beach uh, over, over uh, Friday and Saturday. And the thing is, you get in there and your GPS says, you know, you got 124 miles to go. And you go, oh, Lord, give me strength. 124 miles. I'm going to die. So what you start doing, you start looking for, for mile markers. You know, you read those little mile markers on the side of the road. You look for the sign that says the beach is 100 miles. The beach is 75 miles. The beach is 50 miles. And the closer you get, the further down the road you get, the more excited you become. Let's say you've never read the Bible a day in your life. How do you mark your progress? You start with one chapter at a time. Look at the scripture today. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Now Jericho can see them. They can see the city. Then Joshua set up in, Gil in Gilgal the stones that had, they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. When your children ask you how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you need to be able to tell them how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed it. Now Joshua could say that. He had been through the water twice. Twice he had seen God's mighty deliverance. In this church, we have more than two tales of deliverance. If each of us took a moment to stand up here and testify as to how we were saved, we would be here for a week. But what a glorious week that would be, amen? What a great week to hear how each of us had been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit brought to life in Christ. Just as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so, now note verse 24. This is why God does what he does. It's not just about us. It's about him. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty and that you may always fear the Lord your God. Two purposes in this. Two purposes. You mark your progress so that the world sees that God is God and God is real. How do we know an apple tree from an orange tree? Well, first of all, do they have apple trees in Florida? I don't know. But they, they don't have any orange trees in Washington State. Here's the thing. You know a tree by its fruit, by what comes out of it. We should see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should see the character of Christ developing in us. You know, it's tough to be a mom. Yeah. yeah. You're getting there. You're getting there, okay? We're working. 20 years from now, if the rapture don't come, we're going to be good. This is going to be spontaneous 
Pentecostal moment. Yes. Okay. No. It's tough to be a mom. Ladies, were you the best mom in the world the first day home from the hospital? No. Because you were blubbering and crying and weeping and saying, please, dear Lord, take this thing away from me. I know what you were doing. I was there. Okay. No. I'm dead for that one. Okay. No. You learn how to be a mom by being a mom. Amen? Nobody is a born dad. All right? Most of us fear becoming a father. It's scary stuff. But you learn to be a dad by being a dad. You can't read a I'm sorry, you cannot read a book. You cannot watch a videotape. I watched the whole Lamaze videotape thing. That didn't help. Didn't help me at all. Okay? You can read a book and watch a tape, but that will not help you be a good mom or dad. You learn to be mom and dad by doing it. Not just once in a while, but every minute of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year of that child's life. Amen? Amen. That's how you learn to be a great mom. Do we have any great moms here? Just say amen. amen. There we go. This side, this side, I'm still worried about y'all over here. I pray for y'all. Anyways, you learn to do it by doing it every day. That's how we learn to follow Christ. And you know what, church? Mark every bit of progress that you make. They get over there. They're camped inside of Jericho. And there they erect those stones, those 12 massive boulders that they have pulled. These are not pebbles. This was not something the size of my fist. This was the biggest stone that a man could carry and bring onto the ground and lay down. And they stacked them as a pillar. That was done so that everybody would know this is where it begins. This is the mark. And you know what? Each time you go forward, if you look, they continually erect markers to God's goodness, to God's grace, to God's deliverance, to his strength. Israel was dotted with these memorial markers. Why? In our lives, we need to commemorate the victories, church. We have enough defeats, amen? amen. We have enough defeats. We need to mark the victories. And that's, what is, that's what's part of being who we are in Christ is learning how to mark those things. And that's why Joshua puts that one in the middle of the Jordan. He puts it there as a personal marker for himself because that was the second time he had been through the waters. The second time he had gone into God's hand with faith that God would not let the waters overtake him. You ever been in a place, church, where you thought the waters were going to get you? I mean, you were up to here, up to your eyeballs in water, trying to breathe, and it was only God who delivered you. Amen? It wasn't your brains, it wasn't your planning, it wasn't your financial investment, it was the deliverance of God. That's what this is about, marking those places. And you know what? When you mark and fill your life with your victories, you're going to teach the world that God is God, and you're going to remind yourself to be faithful to Him. That's what the scripture is telling us to do today. I hope you take this to heart, church. I know a lot of places where if you walk into a Christian's home, and this may not be your tradition, but I've seen it. You will see at the front of the house a plate, beautiful plate. And on that plate are a pile of stones. And you'll say, are you into crystals and healing or something? No, nope, no. Nope. And they'll say, what's that? That commemorates the day my child was born. Or that commemorates my marriage. That commemorates the first person that God allowed me to lead to faith in him. They fill their life with markers of the things that they have done and experienced through Christ then they are encouraged to do even more. 
All of us have picture books, right? Our picture books are filled with first trip to Disney, first trip to Yosemite, first trip to the Philippines, first trip to Japan or wherever else you went. You know, you have wedding pictures, you have holiday pictures, vacation pictures. We took a trip to the beach. Did I take pictures of my wife? No. My daughter? No. Me? No. I got pictures of jellyfish. <laughs> I spent two days saving souls. I would run on the beach, I'd pick up jellyfish and throw them back in. I saved dozens. It was good. I was going to say I had a revival at the beach and that we saved a dozen, but I figured that would be bad. Anyways. That commemorates my little jellyfish that I saved, you know. Take a picture, throw them back. But it's good to fill our lives with those things to remind us of what we're doing. So where's your marker? Where's the marker in your life? Right there. Where's the marker in your life? One, have you gathered together all that God has asked of you? Have you put behind the past and have you picked up your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your wife, your children? Have you picked up your life and decided to move at the command of God? If you've done that, say amen. amen. If you haven't, start doing it. Start picking up those markers, those remembrances, those things that you have to go forward. Two, have you moved out in obedience to the call of God? Have you put yourself in a place where God can direct you and take you forward? If you have, fantastic. If you haven't, that's your next step. You, you gather those stones and set out following where God is leading you. Don't tell me God's not talking to you. If you're born again, the Lord is talking. You just ain't listening. Third, is there a marker in your life of where you moved from death into life and when you started your new life in Christ? You can say, but I was raised in the church. I was born in the church. I've known Jesus my whole life. Yes, I was born in the church. I was raised in the church. I have knew Jesus my whole life. But until September 21st, 1980, I was not born again. I was damned. I was going to hell even though I was in church. Understand that. There is a day when you move from death into life. My daughter was alive inside my wife's body, but until that day when she was birthed and the doctor smacked her behind and she drew that first breath, then that's when we mark her birthday. You should have a birthday, church, a Christian birthday, the day you came into the kingdom, started living. Finally, if all this is done, great. Now it's time to move on. It's time to move on and get serious about serving the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for us right now, but I want you to make a special prayer to the Lord for yourself. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord. We thank you for the strength you've given us. Father, we thank you for leading us to salvation. Lord, I pray that right now you're dealing with every soul. Lord, you know every heart in here. Father God, you know the hearts that are given to you, that are surrendered to you. Father God, you know those who are not certain. You know those who are not sure. You know those who are not born again, Lord, and I pray that your conviction would fall on them today. And that, Father, if one soul here today says, I have never been born again, I have just been a church member my whole life, Father, I pray that you would move them by the power of the Holy Spirit to confess their sin and call out to you for salvation. Father, that they might be born again. And Father, I just pray that you would show us all how we can move forward, how we can put the markers in our lives so that others can see a change in us. And so that we can say, see, this is how my life has changed because of Jesus Christ. 
that we can use those markers to point people to their own Jordan River crossing, to their own day of salvation and spiritual rebirth. Lord, bless us as we continue in this service in the celebration of Mother's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.